to your Monday afternoon. Trap Port here on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Natil, how was Star Wars? I haven't gone yet. Oh, when was your ticket? I thought it was this weekend. No, it's Tuesday. I don't get to go see it till Tuesday. I'm dying you know, a little. I, I, I stupidly wandered over to the theater thinking I would get in. Oh, you're uh, a moron. There's no yeah. way. <laughs> Well, I thought if I went to, like, the super early showing on no. Saturday. No way. And then I tried the super late showing on Sunday. That was no dice either. So now I'm thinking maybe, like, Monday yeah. matinee. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I tried <laughs> I tried to get tickets for um, Friday night on, I think, Wednesday, and I couldn't find anything. And then Thursday, I finally found tickets to go on Tuesday. And even then, it was... I felt pretty lucky to get in to a matinee on Thursday. <laughs> it's it's nuts, man. There were there were people having like faux lightsaber battles in the parking lot. That's if I had funny. a lightsaber, but I'm not dollarsy Honestly, no. enough to have a awesome. Well, get, the, the, get some colored plastic no, and put it I on want, a light flashlight. No, I want a I want a Force FX lightsaber because those are the ones that you can actually duel with. Make one at home, you dweeb. No. All right. I'm I'm too scared to deal with like the actual dueling part. Because if I do it wrong, I'll either hurt myself or somebody else. I'd just make one out of a flashlight if that was me. But you're I'm not, old fashioned like that. Well you're just you're you're wrong. It's okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh we have Grand Forks City Councilman Danny Weigel on. Uh gr- the city of Grand Forks has been grappling with this issue. They wanna they wanna pass an inclusion statement. And I and I think Fargo passed one itself but they're having some trouble in grand forks because it's supposed to be a statement of values for the community but hey here's a news flash not everybody shares the same values um so they're they're struggling with that we're going to talk with the grand forks city councilman danny weigel he's been involved in that process i i think he supports passing one i question whether or not this is something government local government ought to be doing it has no force of law it's not even really public policy. All it seems to me is is some virtue signaling by a bunch of politicians saying, "Oh, here's here's what we stand for." Um, I I don't know. I don't think the government should be involved in that. I think values come from the bottom up, bottom up, not the top down. We'll talk with him about that. Uh, also coming about one o'clock. Yeah, Yael Oswaski is going to be on. He is. Uh, with the Consumer Choice Center, we're going to talk a little bit about net neutrality. Uh, former Governor Ed Schaefer with a letter to the editor today uh, in the Fargo Forum saying that net neutrality isn't about speeds, content, or access to the Internet. Um, I, I think he's right. I, I think that is about the big content producers, Facebook, Google, Netflix, wanting the infrastructure upon which their content is conveyed to be treated like a public utility. Uh, this isn't about the Internet user. I don't think this is about you and me. I think this is about Facebook and Google and, and the big uh, you know, the, the big companies. Anyway, we'll talk with that about that. Plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. And uh, Natil, I'm telling you, Al Franken's not going to resign. I've been saying it since the date. Did I not say on the day he gave that speech in the Senate? Was I not saying I, I'm not sure he's going to resign? I was gone that day, but I believe you. I know the day after you were definitely still saying it when I got back, so. I don't think he is. Listen to this. We got other Democrats. At least four Democratic senators. Or no, at least four senators. I think one's even a Republican. 
But four senators are coming forward. They're urging Al Franken to reconsider resigning, um, including two who issued statements calling for the resignations two weeks ago. Now, one of them, the, the most forceful proponent of Senator Franken not resigning is uh, Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia. Uh, he urged Franken not to step down to begin with, at least not before he went through a Senate, uh, an ethics committee investigation. Uh, he said the, the Minnesota senator was railroaded by fellow Democrats. What they did to Al was atrocious. The Democrats said West Virginia uh, Senator, uh, I'm reading here from Politico, uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin in an interview on Politico's Off the Message podcast uh, to post on Tuesday. Uh, Franken's unusual timeline uh, in his departure announcement, he said he'd go in the coming weeks without setting a date, has fed the fleeting hopes that there's still time to reverse course. Uh, now, of course, Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton has appointed uh, his lieutenant governor, or, or nominated, I should say, chosen i don't know what to say about it in this process because it's not like it's going to be I mean, if franken's down then smith's in right but anyway he chose tina smith to be franken's replacement the thing is i still don't think franken's gonna leave i don't think he is i think he's gonna hang on i think his speech was calculated it was intended to be his uh, uh to give him some breathing room and now we're seeing his political allies come in to that space he created uh, and try to rehabilitate him. I think that's what's going on right now, and especially in a deal because the Roy Moore situation's over. Yeah, but the Roy, Roy Moore situation being over, I think, would be the the detriment to the Democrats if they don't continue to call for Al Franken's resignation. Because if he doesn't resign, then the Democrats are no better than what they were calling on Alabama voters to do. Alabama voters did the right thing. Democrats need to do the right thing now, too. Yeah. Although, again, Doug Jones barely won. Although, and, and I, you're, you're right, because obviously the Democrats still want to be, I mean, this is the social issue of, uh, it is a big deal right now. And the Democrats want to be on the right side of history on this. And they're going to have a tough time using the sexual harassment. You know what you know, I heard somebody call this? They called it perv-nado. Have you heard that one, Natil? Perv-nado? No, that's... A wonderful callback to a terrible sci-fi film, Sharknado, which I thoroughly Perv, enjoyed. Pervnado. I'm I'm enjoying Pervnado a lot less. Um anyway, Pervnado's still going on. Uh and it's it's in order for Democrats to use it as a political weapon, they can't look like a bunch of hypocrites. Now, right now, if Franken stays in office, right now some Democrats are calling on President Donald Trump to resign. They're calling on the President Donald Trump to be investigated over his own series of 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 accusations over sexual harassment to one degree or another so that is that's going on and i i guess the democrats don't have the moral high ground if frank is sitting around although they could all still say oh well you know we called on him to resign but it's not up you know it's up to him to resign they don't necessarily have the power to remove him at least not as the democratic caucus they'd have to get republicans on board i don't know it's a whole complicated thing but interesting in all that, this interested me too. Doug Jones, who beat Roy Moore in Alabama, is not joining the calls for uh, uh, President Trump to resign over sexual harassment. So Doug Jones beats Roy Moore and then turns around and says, well, I don't think Trump should resign. As a matter of fact, he, he weighed in and said, uh, you know, the voters had a chance to, to have their say on Trump. The voters had their chance. Trump, the allegations against Trump were pre-election. Uh, they came out, and, uh, and obviously, I mean, they were well-documented, well-publicized. Voters were aware of them, and the voters made their choice. 
And that's, uh, you know, that's essentially what Doug Jones is saying. Um, and I, I think there's some validity to that. I, I did see a distinction between Trump and Roy Moore and even Al Franken in that, you know, with Trump, it was well known and voters made their decision. Franken's situation came up, you know, obviously well into his, his current term in office. Uh, and Roy Moore's situation came up before voters got a chance to vote. So I, I guess you could say that it's a different situation, but I, I don't know. I think I'm right. I, 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 I'm telling you, Franken's not going to resign. He's just not. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see, what was the other big news? Oh, the other, the other big news was this Associated Press article, headline on Trump turf, GOP still seeks North Dakota Senate candidate. Headline not entirely accurate. The GOP has a candidate, Tom Campbell. It's just that he's... A little underwhelming, even in Republican circles. Anyway, we'll talk about that coming up. Plus, whatever you want to talk about. Open phone, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Fort, 970 WDY AM 91, 93.1 FM. Dwayne emails, uh, this Star Wars talk is next level nerd stuff. It sounds like an SNL skit. I think I regained my virginity just listening to it. Wow, and I barely scratched the surface. Sorry we got all up on your lawn, Dwayne. We'll try to to stay off it. We'll play ball across the street from now on. Yeah, that's right. Jesus, old old man, old man Dwayne is upset about the these young whippersnappers and their Star Wars. You realize Star Wars is super old, by the way. Like it's been around old. for a while. <laughs> it's like forty years, isn't it? Uh, the first, first one came out in se- was it the seventies? Was it seventy eight? Yeah, it's got to be close to forty years now. Natil's gonna Google it. I got to because now I don't know. And now we're going to drive Dwayne nuts with more Star Wars. 77. Yes. Yeah, 40 years old. <laughs> that Dwayne's virginity is growing back. Sorry, Dwayne. We'll get off your lawn now. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Okay, this AP article comes out over the weekend. Um, on uh, Headline on Trump turf, GOP still seeks North Dakota Senate candidate. Uh, Tom, by the way, Tom Campbell is in the race. Uh, Tom Campbell is absolutely in the race. Um, you know, it's, it's the Republicans have a candidate. It's just, I, I think most people are probably pretty o- underwhelmed by Campbell. I've been saying that for a while. Um, I do think that this comment from former Governor Ed Schaefer, who, by the way, when we talk about net neutrality, he has a great letter to the editor in the uh, forum today about it. Uh, but former Governor Ed Schaefer, he says, I quote, I'm not sure that our party fully grasps or understands the magnitude of a campaign against Heidi Heitkamp. Uh, we're acting like we're overly, overly confident of a win. I, I think that's right. I talked to a lot of Republicans who were the, oh, Heidi's toast. I'm reading on Facebook all the time. Oh, Heidi, oh, she voted against tax reform. She's toast. She's done. Boy, I, I think that's a mistake. I am, I am probably one of the most I, consistent Heitkamp critics in the state and I, I you can't you cannot underestimate this one she is one of the most skilled politicians she is a vicious campaigner 
you cannot underestimate her. You can't take anything for granted. This is what Republicans did back in 2012 when they ran Rick Berg, right? Rick Berg was in Congress. He ran up, he went up and uh, ran for the U.S. Senate, uh, challenged Heidi Heitkamp. It was an open seat. And uh, Berg lost. And a a part of that is Republicans didn't take Heitkamp seriously enough. And yet we seem intent on, or Republicans seem intent on making the same mistake again. Um, Kevin Kramer, I think, has got to get in the race. I I, I know he's been waiting uh, to make his decision, but I I think I I think that I I think he's got to run for the Senate. I, I I think, or at least make his decision one way or the other. I think the lack of a decision from Kevin Kramer is holding up a lot of other Republicans who might want to get in this race. And I realize Kramer saying, you know, he's got the luxury. He can raise money almost immediately. He can put a lot of money in his, in his coffers very, very quickly. He really doesn't have a lot of campaign infrastructure to build out because, hey, he's already won election to the United States House three other times, right? He's been running federal campaigns for a while. It doesn't take much to pivot a U.S. House campaign into a U.S. Senate campaign, and he could raise a ton of money almost immediately. All of that stuff is true. But he still needs to make a decision one way or the other. It's time for Republicans to get somebody serious in the race against Heidi Heitkamp. And I get it. I mean, there, there are people out there. Uh, State Senator Tom Campbell, he's a nice guy. I know that, that he has some friends in the media, you know, including some people on other radio stations who are, are you know, basically in the tank for him. But the guy's not. I, he's going to get rolled by Heidi Heitkamp if he's the candidate for Republicans. You know, it's time. And, and looking back, I mean, Heitkamp was very much the underdog when she ran in 2012. She came into that race in 2012. Not a lot of people expected her to win, which thus, you know, what I was just talking about with Republicans underestimating her. But she got into that race in November of 2011. In fact, uh, October, I think it was late October, actually, of 2011, is when Heidi Heitkamp got into that race in 2012. Well, we're coming up on the end of December, and Republicans don't have an announced candidate yet. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think Heitkamp needs to get in. All right, excuse me, I, I think Kramer needs to make a decision one way or the other. I think he really does. And it's, it's going to be pretty amazing if Republicans come out of this cycle, uh, you know, that, that we, or excuse me, we enter the 2018 election cycle, and they don't have a serious contender for Heidi Heitkamp, because right now they don't. They have a candidate, Tom Campbell, but I don't think there's a lot of con- there's just not a lot of confidence that he can win. I mean, I, I don't know what it says about Republicans in North Dakota that they're going to be so reticent to put up a serious challenger to Heidi Heitkamp. It's not like they lack for serious contenders. Every other statewide office other than Heitkamp's Senate seat, is held by a Republican. There are plenty of Republicans in the state legislature. There's plenty of Republicans in statewide office, all of whom could make, be strong, or not all of whom, many of whom could be strong, credible contenders against Heidi Heitkamp. But nobody knows what to do because, A, Heidi Heitkamp is a formidable incumbent, and, B, nobody knows what Kevin Kramer is going to do. Now, I get the NDGOP nominating conventions not until April, and we don't have the actual nomination vote until the June primary. 
So there's a long ways out, but I'm sorry. You know, these candidates need to make a decision. They need to get in. If, if Republicans are serious about defeating Heidi Heitkamp, they need to get some, some serious candidates in the race and soon. Because right now, I mean, every every day that goes by is just making Heidi Heitkamp look all the more inevitable. It's making her look like a tougher candidate. And, and to be sure, she's a tough candidate. Her approval ratings are relatively high. So I, I don't know. Republicans got to get in the race. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. All right, in the next segment, we're going to be talking with Danny Weigel. He is a Grand Forks City Council member. Uh, the, the city of Grand Forks, their city council is grappling with an issue about an, a, a statement of inclusion or an inclusion statement. I'm not sure what they're calling it. Basically, it's a statement of values for the city. It says a lot of things about discrimination and same-sex marriage and homosexuality and tra- gender issues and, and all the rest of that. Obviously, politically charged topics. But what is the point of debating it? What is the point? It's non-binding. It's not law. Does it, does the city government have any business stating values for its citizens? I don't think they do. I think value should come from the bottom up, not the top down. Anyway, we'll talk with Councilman Weigel about that coming up next right here on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. Alright, so the city of City of Grand Forks, they're having a debate about something called an inclusion resolution. And I, I believe I believe the city of Fargo passed one of these already. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're struggling with it a little bit. This from the Grand Forks Herald. Uh, City Council member Sandy Marshall introduced an inclusion resolution at Monday's council meeting, uh, council committee meeting. Uh, it's a statement of values, not a law or regulation, that disavows bigotry and advertises Grand Forks' better nature. Notably, it says, quote, promoting differenti- differentiation or superiority for a list of identities like race, religion, gender identity, and sexual orientation is, quote, scientifically false, morally condemnable, hateful, socially unjust, and dangerous. Marshall said she's trying to officialize a positive, inclusive city philosophy, not create a code of conduct. And while most agree Grand Forks ought to be inclusive, the resolution's details are proving politically charged, drawing passionate public comment and leaving city leaders debating its exact language. The debate is reminiscent of the city's 2015 consideration of a diversity commission, a never-formed group that would have advocated for local minorities' interests. Uh, here joining me now is uh, Grand Fork City Councilman Danny Weigel. Danny, how's it going? Good, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. Tell us, wh- where are we at in this debate? Well, I think we, uh, I don't know if the debate's over yet, but Sandy and I got together. Um, as you know, she introduced her resolution, and uh, I've always been taught or told that you don't uh, come with a problem without a solution. So what I did is I drafted my own resolution, uh, kind of mirroring what uh city or county had out of Illinois and brought that forward to the city council and we decided collectively as a group that Sandy and I would get together and 
and come up with something that uh, I think everybody could agree on. And uh, so that's kind of where we're at. We've got one that we'll bring forward tonight at our city council meeting and uh, open it up for discussion and uh, we'll ultimately vote on it and see where that goes. I question whether or not this is something city government ought to be doing. And I I know it's a feel-good thing. I know a lot of other cities have done it. I don't see the point. It's not a law. It's not a regulation. It's not binding. In fact, it couldn't be binding because, you know, we have a thing called the First Amendment, and the city can't exactly just make illegal points of view that they don't like. Like it or not, Ku Klux Klan members have the same First Amendment rights you and I have. So I I wonder, what what is the point? I mean, to me, this looks like a bunch of politicians virtue signaling to the rest of us. Like, this is how... This is how uh, tolerant and accepting we are. Look at how great we are. And that's it. I, I don't see any other point to this. You know, Rob, I don't completely disagree with you. You know, it's one of those things that I, people have brought up. Do we actually need it? You know, Grand Forks is an inclusive community. And, and I, I think so. I was born and raised here in Grand Forks. And I, I do think it's a community that's very inclusive. But one thing I did look at is even if I voted no against this, and I got two other city council members or whatnot to vote with me. It's not going to, it would have still passed. So what I thought is, why not, instead of just having it passed with some of the language that a lot of people felt strongly against that fifth paragraph that you read on the air, is why not work to get something that, that more fits our community and not just rubber stamp something that Fargo or Moorhead or wherever the, the original resolution came from. So that that was my intention. Um, I do think Grand Forks is already an inclusive community, yeah. and uh, you know why not try try come up with something that um, better fits Grand Forks instead of just uh, passing something through. I just you know I mean I've, I'm a I'm a very close follower of public policy in our state, and I understand. I I think I think people like you get a lot of guff from the public politicians in general get a lot of guff from the public because a lot of people think you got a cushy job right like you're just you you guys and the other political fat cats are sitting around at a country club somewhere uh you know picking your teeth with uh, golden toothpicks and and talking about you know whatever I, i think that's the perception some people have of government the truth is you guys are busy people you take on a lot on your plate in a lot of ways i i frankly think you're underpaid uh, you know, whether it's the legislature or whether it's I, for, for the amount of time and effort that this takes serving in, 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 in elected office, some forms of elected office, particularly local elected office. I think it takes a lot of time and a lot of money, which makes me worried. Why spend time on something like this? And, and maybe we've already discussed this. I, I just this just seems like a waste of time to me. If, if we want to have a debate over an actual ordinance or an actual policy, that's going to have, okay, fine, let's have that debate. That's, that's right. But this, some non-binding statement seems, seems like a lot of wasted time for people who, frankly, have better things to do. Yeah, you know, that, that's what some people have said. You know, I, I took uh, two hours vacation from my, my normal day-to-day job on Wednesday. So Sandy and I could get together, and it's something that I worked on somewhat over the weekend, too. So it's, uh, it's something that has taken some time. Um, but at the same time, it's like I said, it, it could have passed easily on a four-three vote, and they would have been done. But I think it's—I uh, think not only our our state and local leaders, local leaders, and even some of our federal leaders, um, the art of negotiation or getting together and talk about things—I think is completely gone. And it's all 
It's all bipartisan. Granted, the city of Grand Forks isn't uh, Democrat or Republican, but I think we need to focus more just in government about getting together and say, okay, I understand this may be important to you, but where can we negotiate and work towards something that uh, that we can all 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 work on and, and whatnot? And uh, you're right, it isn't a it isn't a city ordinance. That it's not a law, but uh, it is a resolution. And um, a couple of our um, city council members felt it was very important, so they brought it forward. And uh, up to us to go ahead and get something hammered out that'll work for everybody. In what in what ways? Now I assume you've had the meeting uh, on this. Now, in what ways do you think that this this resolution has been improved or, or will be improved? I think a lot of the wording. Um, you read that fifth paragraph that was in the original resolution. I, from what I've heard from um, community members and, and others, a lot of people had an issue with that with that fifth paragraph and and what it meant. And my goal coming into this with drafting my own resolution was to really simplify it. Um, I think you and I would agree that beating somebody up or assaulting somebody because of the color of their skin is wrong. Um, I don't yeah, think absolutely. many people would disagree with that. But uh, I wanted it to be very plain and simple that, hey, you know, this isn't right. We shouldn't do that. Um, and, and really make it something people can fully understand because I'd like to say I'm an educated person, but I read that fifth paragraph and I'm like, holy, there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. So I wanted something just simple and clean, and I think that's what we'll bring forward tonight. Well, it's going to be an interesting debate. Um, what can you give us a, a, a glimpse of, of the ways that this has been, you know, maybe changed or or, or made made a, a more general sort of statement that that's more acceptable to people? I think the big, just the it really defines just plain language. It's, it's simple stuff that says, you know, um, I can, can give you a glimpse that basically. There's a paragraph in it that says we uphold the fundamental rights and principles upon which the United States of America was founded, establishing respect and dignity of all people, regardless of background. It, it's just a lot of more basic things instead of just, uh, my opinion, a lot of it was convoluted and, and you couldn't interpret it. And um, we obviously, we welcome new ideas and people are entitled to their opinion. They're entitled to the, to the right of free speech. And, and uh, it's, uh, I would never want to infringe on somebody's right, even though we may disagree on certain things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, last question. Do you think it's appropriate for city government to be engaged in, in value statements for their, I mean, to me, value should come from the bottom up, right? The, the community decides the values and the government's reflective of that. I, I think this seems backwards to me. I don't think government should set the values. I think it should come from the bottom up. Or bottom up. What are your thoughts? Well, I think part of this came from community members. Um, I wouldn't say that, Andy Marshall just all of a sudden said, hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, I think it came from somebody. Um, I think it came from maybe a few different community members that they thought this was important. Um, so, But I agree. I, I think uh, we're elected by the citizens of Grand Forks, you know, and we need to do what they want. Um, we're their voice, and, and that's something that I've always took pride in, that I'm, I'm accessible. I'm willing to do radio interviews. I'm willing to do news interviews. I'm willing to have uh, open houses to sit there and talk with people. I, I've done, uh, you know, social media, Facebook Live, town halls. Um, I'm always looking for ways to communicate with the citizens in my ward specifically and in the city of Grand Forks. So um, I always encourage people, if you have something, give me a call. I'd love to hear what you have to say, and um, and that's how it should work. That's what I'm elected to do. All right. Uh, Councilman Weigel, thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it.
That's uh, Grand Fork City Councilman Danny Weigel. Uh, what do you think of these resolutions? Are this, it, it seems like a waste of time. It seems like an exercise in narcissism by politicians to me. I, I understand. I don't know. Maybe some people think it's important. But if, it, if it's not policy, if it's just some non-binding resolution, what's the point? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Last segment, we were talking a little bit about net neutrality. Kappel jumped in on me, Natil. He uh, sent oh, me a message. He's, he says, first take on net neutrality that gave me pause on my position. Good points. But then he called me out. He says, there's no way you pay for the post. If I know my way around the paywall, you certainly do. He caught me. I don't, I, I don't act... <laughs> I do subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I don't subscribe to the Washington Post, and the reason why is because you can just use an incognito browser to get around. Just take the link that's blocked, paste it into an incognito browser, browser, and boom, you're in. No, you're giving away trade secrets now. Well, I don't know how secret that, I, that I is. I know. Anyway, I, I do think that's a good metaphor. I mean, obviously, like, the, the media industry has no problem, you know, sort of creating a, a t- tiered access to their content i don't understand why internet service providers can't do it either uh anyway here to talk with me is yael ososki from the consumer choice center yael how's it going man going quite well rob thanks for having me on the show uh all right so net neutrality is repealed the world's gonna end now right uh not so fast i don't think so i think uh we we have a lot more that's going to come out of this but really what we're going to see is just a return to the internet of 2015 uh Put down your hard hats. No reason to worry. I think everything is going to be fine. What's what's really going to – is anything really going to change? I think what what happens here is you, you kind of got a signal from the FCC. And for a lot of people who are kind of in the broadband business and in the Internet business, you know, you, there's an assumption that there's going to be a huge change tomorrow when really what it means is that companies are actually going to be able to compete uh, they're going to be able to offer their services. Uh, there's not going to be any big kind of tiering changes. I think there's a lot of scare stories that were thrown out there, particularly on uh, websites. If you guys were hanging out on Twitter and you just use the hashtag net neutrality, uh, Twitter went ahead and added a little waiting symbol on there. Uh, on Reddit, you definitely saw across the entire website that was just completely taken over, and there's a lot of activism there. Really, you're not going to see much change what this means for the future, though, is that there is going to be a lot more competition. ISPs are going to be able to put together better packages for us. There's going to be a lot more investment on their side without the kind of danger that they're going to be breaking any rules by the FCC. The FCC, we should realize, is the same organization that obviously put out the fine uh, when Janet Jackson had her famous slip uh, on TV. Right. Well, yeah, I, I think it's funny that it's it's neutrality is being defined as giving regulation to a federal agency with a history of censorship as lengthy as the FCC's. It doesn't seem to be anything all that neutral about that. But let me play, because I agree with you. I think that this gives the marketplace for Internet service providers, this gives them more flexibility. I think this is going to lead to more competitiveness, right? I mean, if, if anything, 
forcing ISPs to treat all Internet traffic as though it was exactly the same is going to make it so that we, we don't have a lot of choice when it comes to ISPs. And to be certain, I think that is a real problem in America. I, I think that is something we can look at. How can we promote more competition among Internet service providers? I think that would be a healthy thing, particularly out here in the rural parts of America where we don't necessarily have a lot of choices. Uh, I think it would be a healthier thing. I think more choice addresses a lot of this. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment because some of these ISP sure. providers are, are huge. I mean, Verizon, Comcast, these are big, big companies. What stops them from vertically integrating in a way that they sort of create their own? Because this is the big risk, right? This is what everybody's afraid of, that they're going to vertically vertically integrate. You know, Comcast is going to cut a deal with, you know, Hulu or something. And, and now Hulu is going to be the only one that you can really access on Comcast Internet. W- what stops that from happening? What we have here is we do have a very balanced world in, in media in general and Internet because you have to imagine that as big as Verizon and Comcast and CenturyLink and Spectrum and all these companies are, uh, the, the bigger companies are the Facebook and Google and Twitter. And th- these are very large companies as well. And they're obviously promoting their interests whenever they're promoting the net neutrality regulations. But we have to imagine that this is an ongoing marketplace, left and right. You have buyouts, you have sellouts. Uh, really, as you mentioned before, where there have been problems whenever there's been any kind of uh, talk about whether or not rural communities have access, a lot of that really comes from the state and local regulations that make it incredibly hard to create an ISP. So really, when we have more regulation and more laws and we increase the cost of complying with that, we really only make it so that only a few players can play in the marketplace. That's worse overall. Are we going to have a system whereby uh, AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile and Comcast and all the rest are just going to all of a sudden merge? I mean, not at all. That's why you have a competitive marketplace. What's the point in competing for customers if you're trying to merge into this huge behemoth? And even so, with removing these regulations, it will actually allow for more competitive behavior, and hopefully we can have way more ISPs. And in the rural parts, uh, particularly in my home state of North Carolina, we've seen that there hasn't been as much access, but that really is because of the local and the state laws that are in place that really discourage you from creating and investing in ISPs. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Is this... Is, is this says, uh, well, here, hold on. We got a message from a caller. A caller uh, couldn't stay on the line for a full question but wants a clarification on whether or not this is actually going to bring competition to the rural areas with only one current ISP choice, and how will that happen? And I, that does blend into what I was just going to ask you, Yael, because, I, again, I do think we need more competition in the ISP world. And you're saying a lot of it's local regulation. How do we go about promoting more competition among ISPs so that because I, I think that's the hedge, right? If you're worried about Comcast or Verizon or somebody like that, you know, vertically integrating to the point where the internet becomes something other than what we enjoy today, the hedge against that is well competition. Because then if Comcast is doing it, I could jump to somebody else who isn't doing it. But I, I think a lot of people look around and say, well listen, I'm living in a place I have one, maybe two, three ISPs to choose from. That's not a lot of competition. How do we promote that competition? 
Well, you've seen that in the FCC kind of debate and everything going on here. We have 330 million people that are attempting to put their comments in on what's happening here. But it's actually much easier than that because, as I stated before, most of the regulations on ISPs are actually at the state level and at the ISP level. So that's the question to ask is do you have more of an ability to talk to your representatives at the local level and at the state level? Or are you able to talk to the five members of the FCC commission? And I think that's why, you know, maybe tomorrow this is not going to create more competition. However, what this does is it takes this kind of regulatory authority away from the FCC, which is, again, an independent agency just chaired by five people appointed by the political parties, and it removes that away. And if you have your state and local regulations in place, which make it difficult to have your ISPs and to bring in these other players, a good example is Google Fiber, uh, for instance. Again, I, I use uh, the state of Florida and North Carolina. Whenever Google Fiber started coming into town, the local regulations made it illegal for them to offer a competing service without going through this entire complicated process. So Google has the money to be able to compete and to be able to file a licenses and do all the kind of regulatory compliance, but a smaller ISP did not. So what we really have with this uh, ruling and that you have the repealing of this is you have an ability for people in their local jurisdictions uh, to be able to lobby, to write their local lawmakers and make sure that the burden, the kind of burdensome regulatory landscape is removed. And I understand the concern about not having enough competition. I think it's a, it's a very uh, important one, and uh, particularly for us at the Consumer Choice Center, it's one that we care about a lot. The thing that we just have to realize now is we have more of an opportunity to face that competition because it's returned away, oh, it's returned to our local communities, and it's not just based in Washington, D.C. anymore. Right. And I, I think, again, I, I think you've got to look at it is we are giving internet service providers price flexibility. I, and I, I think if, if you look at the marketplace, there's a lot of ways. For instance, you look at like like cab rides. Like for instance, Uber and Lyft have pricing models and, and a delivery of service that work very different than the traditional tax, uh, cab drive. Those services are all competing now, and consumers are, are enjoying the benefit. Uh, how you get how you get access to a vehicle? There's a lot of different ways to do it. You can get a loan from a bank and buy one. You can lease one. Uh, there's even some deals now where you sort of get it's almost like a car sharing service where you buy like shares in a car and you get a certain amount of access. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to pay for that too. That sort of innovation is a good thing. Now, what I hear you saying though is if you're concerned about the lack of competition among ISPs, and I do think we should be concerned about that, you're saying we should be talking to our state lawmakers, state and local lawmakers. Or state and local policy yeah, of course, of course. That, that's where all the restrictions are. There's a great uh, piece that was done by Wired Magazine about two years ago, whenever this was sort of a huge deal and people were talking about this. Look, if you're concerned about local competition of ISPs, the FCC is not going to solve your problem, and not with this Title II regulation. Because we have to go back to what that means. Everyone's just kind of caught up on the term net neutrality and the principle and what it means. But what the FCC just did now is they repealed the ruling that Internet and Internet service providers are so-called common carriers. That basically means that all the money that's been invested in putting down the wires and the cabling and the pipes, basically all of that cannot be denied to anyone else that's coming along after them. So it means that the companies that have laid down all their wires, who have invested millions of dollars to try to get different communities connected – Basically, anybody can jump on that now, and you don't have any kind of 
uh, way that people can invest in ISPs and put down new lines. That's how it was before. Thankfully, with this repealing of it, now we're back to Title I. The Internet is now seen as an information service. You can have a lot more investment. You're not going to have as many regulatory hurdles, and companies know that they can get a profit. And I think at the end of the day, if companies are able to offer a service and people are able to enjoy it, they're going to willingly pay for that. And you definitely see that in many states with things like Google Fiber, uh, with many ever, particularly there are even some municipal uh, services that are being put together, kind of municipal broadband, which, you know, you might be against that or you might be for it. But regardless, it's something that should be able to exist, should be able to put a price out there. And if uh, consumers like it and they're willing to pay for it, they should be able to. Yael, we're out of time, but thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rob. That's Yael Ozaski. He is with the Consumer Choice Center, talking about net neutrality. We'll be right back after this. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. What's in the headlines, Atil? Well, we're going to start off with kind of an, an interesting story about a classic holiday commercial. Four things you didn't know about the classic Hershey's Kisses holiday commercials. This, this is the one where the different colored kisses, like, they go around and make, like, a Christmas tree and different stuff? Yeah, it's it's um, the silver, red, and green Hershey's Kisses, and they sort of look like a Christmas tree, and each one of the kisses is a different bell, and they play a little, uh, oh, okay, we yeah, wish you a yeah. Merry Christmas. I did, like that commercial. Did you know that it is the longest-running product commercial ever? What? It debuted in 1989 and has been no, and has been playing every year since that year. That's the year I was born, Rob. Well, okay. Well, first of all, God, I'm old. So uh, that's amazing. I I had no idea that that commercial was that old. Not only is it that old, but it almost didn't happen. Okay. Uh, John Dunn was the Hershey's brands manager at the time, and he went to San Francisco to help create a, a big bunch of uh, Hershey's Kisses commercials, all focusing on this sort of overarching idea of whimsy. And as he was working on these other commercials, he had this inspiration to make a holiday commercial, and he wasn't authorized to make a holiday commercial, but he did it anyway. And he figured he could just sell it to his boss after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it's better to beg forgiveness than to ask permission. Well, 20, 28 years worth of commercials later, it apparently worked out pretty well. That it, is amazing. You don't you don't see that very often that a commercial has that kind of staying power. Yeah, and it's it's probably one of the biggest case studies in timelessness. It's It sounds so crazy, but we actually talked about this commercial in my um, advertising principles class in in college when I was in my, master, my mass communications program because it is such a timeless commercial. It has, there's no sort of like dating figure to it because it's simple. Huh. It's using just plain kisses and colors that still exist and it's using a classic Christmas carol. There's no way to really date it, but it triggers this feeling of nostalgia in older generations that remember it. Because it's been around since 1989. I had, I had no idea. I, I, I obviously, I, I don't know. I've seen this. I had no idea it was that old. That is, uh, 
That is just absolutely remarkable. All right, what's next? I think it's pretty cool. A less a less exciting Christmas story up next. A Christmas Story Live delivers lump of coal to Fox in early TV ratings. I, I, I can't believe I, I love a Christmas story. We have a tradition every year after Thanksgiving. We get that we put up the tree, we decorate the tree, we order pizza from Pizza Hut, and we watch a Christmas story. That's our tradition in our family. And we listen to my grandma's Christmas records. That's that's our tradition every I love a Christmas story. I was actually excited to see this, completely forgot that it was on. Yeah, I I totally forgot when it was on too, but I I probably wouldn't have watched it live, but I would have watched it on Hulu the next day, like I did with some of the uh, musicals that they've done live. But yeah. apparently the ratings were just abysmal. They lost out to everything. They lost out to all of the other network shows that were playing at the time. They yeah. were running even the NFL the, beat them. Yeah, they were running. Well, <laughs> they were running it at the same time as Sunday Night Football, which was stupid. It. Yeah. They just they didn't make very good decisions, and it really really came down hard on them. Not to mention, I feel like the the A Christmas Story market is already a little oversaturated with at least one channel doing 24 hours of it i was gonna say isn't it there's a what is it tbs or something i think it's tbs yeah i actually kind of like that like i would always i mean because obviously as a parent you know you stay up late after the kids go to bed to put presents out and whatnot and um we would always have that playing in the background while we're doing all that i i I don't know i love that movie dearly but you're right it might be the movie itself might be enough. I don't know that we need necessarily needed a live version. Although I totally would have watched it if I knew it was on. I guess I just I blew that one. Like a lot of other people, apparently. Apparently. I guess we'll have to see how it does in, you know, after aftermarket, like on the Hulu scene and whatnot. But that sort of defeats yeah. the purpose of it having been done live. So right. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right, what's next? Up next, Don't Call Me Gay, says, says Italy designer Stefano Gabbana. Okay. He, he, is, is he denying that he's gay, or what's no, the problem? He he is gay. He is um, half of the iconic Dol- Dolce & Gabbana brand, and he said on Sunday that he's tired of being labeled by his sexuality. Hmm. Um, he says at the time that it was invented, like that label was invented, it was invented by people who needed to label people. And... It served some great purposes. It served as a great defense for people that needed protecting because it could identify them and put them in with a a group of like-minded, understanding people during a time where the world wasn't necessarily understanding or accepting. And while he is a gay man, he wants to first be seen as a human being. Yeah, I I 100% get that. I, I, I completely understand it. I, I understand not wanting to be defined by your sexuality or your race or your gender or whatever. It's just I'm I'm just this is I'm an individual. This is who I am. And I think I've actually talked about that. Like we have we need to start looking at people. You are not your group, right? I think we do that too often. We group people and that's not fair. They're individuals. I, I know a lot of I know a lot of gay Republicans who are tired of being, you know, criticized because they're a Republican and gay, like as if being gay means that they have to have a certain political outlook or, uh, you know, African-American Republicans, you know, as if, again, because of their race, they have to have a certain political outlook. I don't think that's fair to stereotype people that way. You know, they're individuals. 
they're smart people and they can they can do that. That being said, th- there was a political movement a while back. Maybe they're still around. I don't know. But they called themselves no labels in politics, right? And they were going to run candidates who weren't Republican or Democrat. They were going to be the no labels candidates or whatever. And, and this is where I think this idea runs into a problem because it's while while it's very it's very aspirational to say, you know, I don't want to be defined by my um, sexual orientation or what have you. That's still a thing that exists in the world. And we have words to describe those things for a reason, right? I mean, what would we do in politics if we couldn't describe politicians as, you know, generally liberal or generally conservative or what have you? And I realize sometimes the labels we use are too simplistic, um, but we still got to be able to describe things. We still got to be able to describe the world around us, right? I I think that's – I get what he wants, but – I mean, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think that what Stefan, I don't Gabbana, think we can get there. Well, I don't think we can get there. I maybe, think it's absurd to think we can. <laughs> maybe, you know, a couple hundred years down the line, we can. A couple hundred years ago, we thought that it was fine to enslave well, a couple hundred of years down the road. We're still going to need a word that means green. Well, yes. But right. what, what I'm saying is that maybe a couple hundred years down the line, we'll be at a point where someone's sexuality is no longer a label yeah. that we feel needs to be applied to them so that we can group them in a specific way. I don't right. think that we're there yet. I think that a you, lot I of think, people... I think, obviously, we're still going to need to describe somebody like they're homosexual, right? There's a, still going to be a need for that sort of thing. But they're being homosexual shouldn't mean anything else other than they're homosexual. The rest of that, like, it's not their defining characteristic. I think that's what we've got to move past. I think you're right there, and... But I, I also think that there are still a lot of people that find a lot of comfort in using those labels for self-identification purposes. It helps them understand who they are, and it helps them relate to the people around them. So I don't know that we can completely remove ourselves from labels, but I agree. We definitely need to start seeing labels as a tool with which to help describe ourselves and not as a box that we can shove people into and assume yeah. eight other things about them because of it. Right. Like like you're 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 African American man, therefore you gotta vote Democrat and you were raised by a single mother in a ghetto, et cetera. Like th- those are that's not fair. That person's an individual. Yes, they have a certain, you know, racial background, but other than that, don't make assumptions about people about stuff on stuff like that. All right, what's next? Let's finish up with Facebook and Twitter are too big to allow fake users. They should be regulated in the same way as T V stations and newspapers. Oh boy. That doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. No, it sounds like a terrible idea. So they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't want anonymous contributors to Facebook and Twitter. They basically, there, there are people that are saying that fake accounts should not be allowed, which means that they people are somehow now expecting Facebook and Twitter to vet every single account that exists on their websites to ensure that the person is is a valid person, is who they say they are, and et cetera, et cetera. That's crazy. Well, I, I understand I understand the concern. I mean, there's a lot of people who are abusive on those services, and they use anonymity to be abusive. But on the flip side, anonymity can be powerful. Whistleblowers for major corporations or political dissidents in other parts of the world can use that an anonymity you know, powerfully, uh, you know, the, our founding fathers, when they were writing the Federalist Papers, did so under pseudonyms, you know, ben, Benjamin Franklin, 
wrote letters anonymously to to the editor. I mean, this uh, there's a, there's a pretty proud tradition of of using that sort of anonymity. I, I don't think it's anything. You know, I, it depends on what you're using the anonymity for, right? I, I think we could probably do a better job of people who are using it to be abusive. You know, I, I think that services like Facebook and Twitter can and, and could probably do a better job of allowing us to get rid of them. But to not allow anonymity at all, boy, I don't know. I'll tell you, when I first started the blog, you know, 14 years ago when blogging was the hot thing before Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, I considered being anonymous. Um, just because North Dakota is a very, you know, even as a state, is a very small community, I was writing about you know, I was writing provocatively about controversial things, and I was worried. I had a day job, and I was worried about what that could mean for my day job. And ultimately, I chose to write, write under my own name. But I certainly could understand why a lot of people would choose to be anonymous. It's it's It can be scary sometimes. Well, and this might be shocking coming from a liberal like me, but I don't think that Facebook and Twitter as the providers of the platform should have to be responsible for the people making use of that platform and the ways in which they are making use of it. That would be like asking that would be like asking the city to be completely responsible for whatever is being said in a public square during a protest or asking or asking gun manufacturers to be responsible if their gun gets used to murder somebody or in a school shooting or to rob a bank. Or, or a car manufacturer if their car is used to uh, in a terror attack, right? Like that's yes, not that, and, that's not fair. And maybe maybe that's shocking coming from me, but I don't I don't think that that's I don't think that that's in any way correct. I think that Facebook and Twitter can help in a lot of ways by helping, like you said, to reduce the amount of bullying right. and hatred. Well, they, and they want to do that just for their bottom line. Exactly. Like if their services become a place where people just get abused all the time, people are going to stop using it. But I don't. That does not make them solely responsible for it. Nor do I think that they should be forced into trying to root out every anonymous user or every fake user that happens to be on their website. I think that's absolute. That's absolutely insane. agree. Yeah. All right. We better wrap it up. All right. Let's wrap it up. You're listening to AM 970 WDAY 93.1 FM. This is the Rob Report, and that's the rundown. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com if you want to get in on the last part of the show here. I think we're going to have Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger on again tomorrow. We were talking, we had him on before about, you know, sort of the impact of the federal government. Democrats are continuing to just, North Dakota Democrats continuing to just flat out lie about oil tax revenues. You remember back in 2015, uh, North Dakota's uh, lawmakers passed a reform to the oil tax. They lowered the extraction tax rate uh, in exchange for eliminating a low price exemption. And Democrats are claiming that that cost the state money. Former state lawmaker Ben Vig, Democrat, uh, he wrote, In November, a legislator mentioned that the state has over 30% less revenue in 2017 than 2015. A business would be closing this door, their doors, if this was the private sector. The primary reason for a large revenue reduction uh, in state government was that in 2015, the Republicans gave a 1.5% tax break to the oil companies, or $18 million per month. A, first of all, no, that is not the primary reason. The primary reason is that the price of oil dropped. 
and the price of a lot of crop prices dropped. North Dakota is a state dominated by two major industries, agriculture and oil, and they hit a rocky patch. Commodity prices dropped. That hurt the state. Now, we can have a, a debate about how we make our state more uh, resilient to the vagaries of commodity prices, but to blame tax changes for, uh, for, for even most of the revenue loss is ridiculous. Second of all, the tax reform didn't actually cost the state anything. They did two things. They lowered the rate, but they also got rid of a trigger exemption. And I, I actually emailed our tax commissioner earlier today, Ryan Rauschenberger, and he said, I quote, since January 2016, the state has collected an additional $964 million in oil taxes because the legislature removed the price-triggered rate reductions and locked in the current rate at 10%. So Ben Vig, Democrat, like a lot of Democrats do, lying in a letter to the Grand Forks Herald saying that this has cost the state revenue. This oil tax reform has cost the state revenue. It hasn't. Rauschenberger continues his emails to me. He says, by next month, we will be at the point where the state has collected $1 billion in additional oil taxes due to the reforms. Now, I get Democrats only want to look at one part of the equation. They only want to look at the rate reduction. They don't want to look at the fact that lawmakers also got rid of the trigger exemption. But that's like if we were talking about national tax reform and we only looked at what we were doing with the rates and not what we were doing with the deductions. Democrats don't want to do that at the national level. But they do want to do it here because it's politically convenient for them. Anyway, we'll talk about it more tomorrow. This is the Rob Report. You can always tune in 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday right here on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.